0: Hello and welcome to episode 46. We've just come up alongside Banana Split in terms of the number of episodes. Obviously it's easier to throw this together. It's just me on my couch with a laptop and a microphone. I don't have to try and see who's available and where to go and all that sort of thing. As I do currently with Jaden and Peter or that other guy where we went once and that was a bit of fun. The room was a bit hot, it would be nice today it's uh, actually a nice cool day so we'd probably be able to go to the new guy's place. Less pretty than the Nerd Cave but functional. We just got married though so uh, hopefully they're settling in with that life and um, we'll invade it again at some point. But for now I'm at home. I'm enjoying a very short day of work. I do have to go back into it because I've started doing one of these sites that I used to get up at say five in the morning for. I now do it at five in the afternoon. So while that puts me in some trouble with traffic it's actually a lot easier going by yesterday i didn't get there till about quarter to five got out of there at 5:30. the only problem was running out of fuel the uh, depot had closed by that point so i couldn't really go and top it up i had just enough left this morning to do the two or three jobs i had and i came home and here i am i did spend a bit longer than i meant to researching as such before i do this episode which is going to be all about captain marvel i had meant to do this earlier i did watch it quite on the weekend. So that was Saturday, it's now the 13th of March, and it is a Wednesday, I believe, which is normally one of my busier days, but for some reason everything shifted to like Tuesdays and Thursdays, so it's very confusing. Yeah, we'll live. We'll so basically, uh, that's what I'm gonna talk about. I spent too much time on Facebook and stuff, so time to get this going. It's 11.30, by the time we finish it'll be lunch, and then watch some cool stuff, and then head off to do that final job. Captain Marvel, I'll look at the Rotten Tomatoes stuff first. There's obviously, as Red Letter Media said, An Elephant in the Room, which I've talked about before, which is basically the, all the drama surrounding things that Brie Larson, the main actress, has said in the past regarding more diversity in criticism, which I I was pretty hard and fast on that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, and she can say what she wants. She's correct in that it's a good thing to have more viewpoints from different people with different experiences, different life, lived experience, and that's a good thing. It was just the way she phrased it. She used the term old white men, old white dudes a lot, and that rubbed some people the wrong way. And given the irony of how sensitive some of these bro flakes are, it got very ugly on the internet. They uh, basically trolled the page there in terms of who wants to, people that want to see it. There's a little counter there. They went, I don't know if you could submit reviews at that point because it was pre-release, but people were definitely bombing it with like, no, I don't want to watch this. So they actually deleted the ability to do that uh, permanently for all films, which I'm not that bothered about. I mean, it's sort of a silly score counter anyway. It's like, watch it or don't watch it. Who cares how many people intend to see something? I don't To me, it seems like a really trivial Thing to have on there, so let's streamline it. Just have reviews from people who've actually seen it. There's accusations that now, yeah, there was something like thousands, thousands. I can't remember the exact numbers, but there was a whole bunch of reviews within a couple of days of the movie coming out that were all bad uh, from the audience. Uh, Whereas in the entire run up to this point of, say, the last Avengers movie, there's not even that many reviews. So clearly something was out of whack here. And it was there by all these sort of melting bro flakes that were like, oh, she said something bad about white men and I'm a white man and that's sexist and that's racist and oh and they're just jumping on it and having a field day, which, yeah, technically she could have phrased things better. And I don't want to mansplain. It's all very, you've got to be quite careful these days with how you talk about this sort of thing. And I don't even like, like, Red Letter Media, someone posted a link to that, Uh, Josh Spencer, one of my friends on Facebook, and he sort of swallowed the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker. I don't know if he'd watched the video, but they do. I was a bit worried, because I was like, he's coming across with this whole, like, hey, guys, I know I'm a white man, and we shouldn't talk about this sort of stuff, because no one wants to hear what white men say anymore, (laughs) ha, ha, ha. But, hey, I think they've gone, let's talk about it now, and then posted the link, and I was like, oh, God, they haven't gone down that route as well, have they? And they were a bit more balanced than I feared. They were still pretty harsh. The best, I can't remember the names, but there was a guy wearing like a Green Bay Packers, looked like he'd just rolled out of bed uh, jersey and basically said, yeah, meh, it was okay. Not liking the main actress because of her being a little bit too snarky for him uh, put him off too much. And the other reviewer liked it even less, but at least he addressed... Points about the movie. It wasn't just oh, because she said that uh, white men are bad, and they did make fun of guys that took that too far. But uh, they just like I just said, she could have maybe put it in a better way and just come out and said, you know, it'd be nice if there was more diversity amongst critics, uh, and and made a big deal about how important reviews are, but that they need more reviews from people of color, people with different lived experiences, all that sort of thing, which is true, but just that. She could have been a bit more politic with it, ironically, but I don't know. I'm not. There's no chip on my shoulder about it. Uh, I'm never going to be some famous white guy critic, but I still don't feel like those that are need to be too concerned. No one's chipping away at their base or taking away viewers from their YouTube videos. Like Jeremy John, still gets millions. Just watch his review as well uh, for research and he came he avoided the whole elephant in the room topic he just, he's just like oh sitting on a hill reading popcorn and, oh, oh, I've, and to me that was a little bit uh, i lost a little bit I, I don't watch him regularly but i thought he didn't pull punches generally i think he pulled them there like he should really have an opinion on that but he just didn't want to dive into it and stuck to the movie and fair enough i guess i just think if you want to be holistic and talk about the entire world that the movie's in, the context of it, that's a better way to go. And more respect to Red Letter Media, even though I didn't agree with them entirely for addressing that issue. He just went, oh, let's forget about that bunch of silly people on both sides and talk about the movie, which is one approach. And he did get stuck into the movie and said it wasn't sure what it wanted to be. Is it a space buddy movie? Is it a fish out of water movie? Is a, a cop buddy, I meant, but yeah, one's from space, one's like an agent, so... But essentially, for a majority of the movie, was Samuel L. Jackson and Brie Larson running around getting into trouble and helping each other out. There was a really clever scene with uh, which gets mentioned by... God, I can't remember which reviewer it was now. This is as bad as me watching Star Trek and getting it mixed up with the Orville, because I'm kind of going from one episode to the other, and I'm like, hey, where's that character I really like? Why wasn't he on the bridge? Oh, yeah, it's the other show. Essentially, he didn't like the movie, so... I was a little bit surprised, but I'm taking on board some of that criticism. They did try and fit too much into one piece origin movie, like it was their one chance to really tell her story, and a lot of it ended up being getting told in flashbacks. So they didn't get a huge amount of they didn't get a huge amount of time, or a, they were really kind of their hands were tied behind their back in terms of being able to tell her story from the struggle to the rising up. And, you know, conquering her self-doubt and whatever other enemies and skeletons in the closet that she had. They really had to rush you through it. Ben Mendelsohn, great standout. I didn't mean to run into the review here, but, you know, that's where I am. He really saved it. Samuel L. Jackson, great. Got to do some cool fighting stuff that he didn't really get to do in movie set later. Because of this set in the 90s, so he's a bit more limber. He's got a fresh face. He really, they've done an amazing job, as per usual, with the de-aging CGI technology. Because he looks straight out of, like, Die Hard 3, which I think is about how old he was when this was set. So he looks very similar to that. Of course, with all my reviews, there's going to be spoilers. You find out how he lost his eye, which is, of course, through the cat, whose name was Goose. That's right, uh, ripping it out when he got a little bit too trusting, which, like, someone said, oh, it totally, like, undermines what he says in, in one of the Captain America films, and they ask about his eye, and he's like, well, this is what I get for trusting someone. And it implied this huge dramatic backstory, whereas, in fact, it was just him picking up the cat, thinking it liked him, and it ripped his eye out, or it clawed it. So, yeah, a little bit of a spin, but it's still essentially someone that he trusted that betrayed him. It, it just was a cat. And the way he is, he's manipulative, he's a spy. Of course, he's going to hand things up like he did with telling everyone that Coulson was dead, which was kind of true, but he just didn't mention it when the guy came back to life because, well, you know, that would have taken away a lot of their motivation to come together and save the world. But yet now we're going to talk about the score. The tomato meter from the critics is 79%. The audience score is 62%. It's one of those rare times where it's lower than the critics, but that's because of the trolls. also because it's not the best movie ever made I'm the first to admit that I just think you have to score it based on the movie itself not because you don't like the main uh, character uh, cast member the character maybe okay but actress like that's got nothing to do with the movie itself I mean I'll still love Kevin Spacey movies even with all the shit that he's done so it depends on I mean you can it might be tougher with someone like say uh, Bill Cosby or there's some, I can't remember his name, there's some producer that made a bunch of horror movies that was really into dark stuff, like child abuse and things like that. Brian Singer's been accused of similar things, and that might be a bit tougher, but, you know, now radio stations aren't playing Michael Jackson music in some places. I've seen a lot of clickbait headlines that are like, oh, New Zealand stations are all Australian stations. That's probably, realistically, only a handful of stations that have done it, just like with that Christmas song that had allusions to rape, It didn't really at the time, but now the lyrics sound a bit funny. I can't remember what the song was called. And when I heard it, I was like, I've never heard this Christmas song before. So it must be like a purely American thing. That is different because the the song itself is questionable. Whereas Michael Jackson's music, while some of it might not be to everyone's taste, most of it's fairly good and popular. And um, I think over the years has clearly changed a lot of people's lives to the better. It's their soundtrack, it's the rhythm that they grow up to. So to take that away from people, just because the artist himself has a questionable background, I don't think that's the way to go at this current point in time. I might be completely wrong, but that's just my stance on it uh, at the moment. So looking at the critic reviews, you know, there's little little uh, speech bubbles. Let's uh, grab a couple from the top page. This is Peter Rainier from the Christian Science Monitor. Jesus, I don't know if that's an apologetic. I don't know much about Christian science. I think it's like, yeah, we believe in God, but we're more scientific about it. That's as much as I can glean from that. Uh, and he says, Lacking the wit and graphic oomph that sometimes rescues the Marvel franchise from terminal fatigue, Captain Marvel is yet another origin story for yet another super... Yes, that's what it is. It's an origin story for n- another superhero because people like to watch them. And it's an important film because it comes between Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, and it really fills in those gaps. Uh, Even though it's set in the 90s, it it introduces a character that's obviously going to be very important. And in the post credit scene or mid credit scene, it's basically the beginning of Endgame, where she turns up and is like, hey, where's Nick Fury? He's dead, which they don't tell her yet, but essentially he is. So that's when they have to pretty much start running around through time. uh, And from what I can gauge, it's when Ant-Man turns up and they're like, is this now? And they're like, yep, let him in and he'll sort of take them on an adventure through time because he discovered how to do that, I assume, on his journey into the quantum realm. And that's where they go. You've seen, uh, if you're any kind of nerd, you've seen uh, shots from the set of Endgame where they look like they did in the early 2000s, sorry, early 2010s, when they were doing the first Avengers film. And basically, it's like, clearly they're back in New York during the incident, as it's called in the TV film series anyway let's move on richard brody the problem was with the corporate anti-culture that controls these productions and the fandom targeted demagoguery that they made to fulfill which responsible casting can't overcome alone what so that's from the new yorker i thought it was some mad rant by a youtuber or some kind of troll but that's from a top critic at the New York. I don't know if I'll dive into the rest of that review, but uh, I don't like where that's going. And, yeah, his was a splat. Proper tomato here. Does it work? From Mark Daniel. The short answer is yes. There's enough to keep both diehard Marvel fans and newcomers engaged. uh, From the Toronto Sun. So I agree with him there. Leah Pickett from the Chicago Reader. Hopefully doing this over time, I'll get to recognize some of these writers and build a one-way relationship with them, at least. She says that Carol Danvers is a formidable force and a welcome addition to the MCU, so kept that short. Uh, Louisa Moore, why praise a movie that panders with a symbolic pat on the head to the audience? It is supposed to empower. Mmm, and that's from a female critic. Uh, I'm curious what else she has to say, but I don't want to drag this out all day. But yeah, there's. I guess it is a shallow, that's a headline I saw, look at feminism, I mean... There's accusations that she's overpowered, that she doesn't have a kryptonite, so that she's less interesting. It's like a bland sort of laser woman that's just going to do anything she wants. That's right at the end of the movie. That's in the last minute, basically, uh, when she greets the incoming Armada that's there to bomb the Earth. Of, I think they're the Kree at that point, and she's and it's that guy from Guardians of the Galaxy, the not the Inquisitor. Christ, they have these cool names, Ronan the something. And she basically flies through a spaceship and is like, yeah, what are you going to do now? And they all zip off back home. And she's like, yeah, I'm coming. She leaves a message with uh, Jude Law. that's like, yeah, I'm going to come in this war and not the way you wanted me to. So, and then she disappears for 30 years or so. Uh, So I don't know if we'll see another movie like the sequel, which uh, details how that fight went. Or if that would be new, because by the time she turns up for Endgame, that's all happened. So maybe we're not as, there's less interest in that. But I'd still like to see how that went. Because that would be a chance for us to see how uh, any vulnerabilities that she might have could be exposed. So Corey Coleman from Double Toasted. This could have been the usual suspects or memento of Marvel. But they don't develop the character in an origin film. Yeah, she doesn't change a huge amount between the beginning and the end. She goes from being lost and confused but pretty snarky and snappy to powerful and determined and snarky. But she was always powerful in that she had a lot of pluck and just wanted to get up and keep going. And that was kind of what made her this amazingly strong character. But there was a bit of a moment where it's like, all right, she's really got to get back up. And that's what makes her who she is and uh that's what it's all about but it's kind of like she was always like that there was just a moment where it's sort of like she's really got to get back up and overcome any final shred of doubt in her uh own ability to do what she wants and save the world so she just has to it's like she's almost there and then just physically rips off this thing on the back of her head that's like slightly holding her back like this this leash it's eleanor ring girl C- Ringel, ring girl? Ringle? ...from the supporter report. So you don't always see the same ones on the top page. I don't know how they uh, end up on there. But yeah, I've never seen her before. Jackson hasn't seemed this engaged in years... ...and his repartee with Larson is delightful. That's true. Um, I'm planning to probably watch it again with a friend... ...and that's probably what I'm looking forward to the most. The back and forth between those two. The scenes with him and Coulson. Any scene that he's in, he basically steals it. And the same when he meets up with uh, Ben Mendelssohn and the twist happens it's basically just a a joy Martin Thomas from Double Toasted again so we've got the two and they're both men of colour so that's good we've got a bit of a mix of critics here which is good to see there's not enough on the page it's only two hours long and they kind of rush through it Mm. well that's the thing you've got a lot to work with and they just have to like a lot of her backstory is purely in like really fast flashbacks So you just have to make do. Jane Hu from The Ringer, she says that Marvel films should be allowed to be mediocre and confusing. But if you're invested in how Hollywood and superhero franchises in particular represent female characters, that's a mouthful, then the stakes of these films shift a little. Obviously that's not soundbite friendly. She wants you to go and read the rest. I won't do that at this point it's just saying because of all the weight that's on its shoulders it should have really lifted its game and it just became another stale predictable formula origin movie which is true but I think the devil's in the details and they do get a lot of those right they just didn't do any big steps in terms of structure or it's, it was never going to be a memento who was that guy kidding Linda Marrick from the Jewish Chronicle a hugely enjoyable funny a masterfully put together offering from Marvel and Disney yeah Okay, not a lot of depth to that, but sure. I mean, if I want to see depth, I guess I should read the whole thing. She gave it four out of five. Uh, Superhero Cinema has lectured us ad infinitum on the responsibility that is conferred by extraordinary gifts. Praise be to Larson for reminding us that they can be bringers of fun. Exactly. Let's all relax and just have some fun because that's essentially all that movie was. The the, the stakes were high, but it never felt like uh, you were kind of been dragged through the mud it was generally mostly fun so i agree with anthony lane there from the new yorker Say so they're not all dicks matthew lacona san diego reader the film may be about women breaking their shackles but the lead actress feels kept in check for much of the picture. humor winds up being provided by samuel L. jackson's nick fury heart by lashana lynch's maria rambeau and pathos well it ain't awesome. yeah she's copped a lot of flack for her uh, acting so what can you do there are no featured reviews of captain marvel at that this time mm. but there are a lot of audience reviews and they're pumping them out march 12th the last couple i guess they're all written in the states because it is still the 12th in america half a star did not enjoy this film thank you michael A TV-level movie not worth the price of a ticket. Wait until it streams. You won't miss anything from Can-E. Some really, like, lazy reviews here. If you're going to do a proper review, then at least get a mic and read other people's reviews for half an hour. Come on. Make an effort. Jesus. There's a lot of just, like, three-word reviews. There's from absolutely marvellous, hey, to just weak film or worst superhero movie that I've ever seen. Really? Really? It's worse than... I don't know i could name 10 others that that are worse a punisher from the 80s like just, just come on come on i mean is he assume he's more of a anti-hero but still uh, who is this person there's a photo we couldn't find the page it's like a tiny photo so i'm done with them. imdb now we're going to go to trivia because i love to do that by the way the film made a shit ton of money so marvel and uh a lot of the people that were defenders are basically pretty happy with that including myself like the more money they make, the more they're going to make Marvel movies and the more they've got in their back pocket to, say, take a few risks. They're going to just create more and more and more and eventually someone's going go, let's try another Guardians of the Galaxy, like get some unknown characters and just throw them out there. Chuck a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what happens. So that's what we want. That's where beautiful stuff comes out of. Like the last thing I read about Marvel and other comics, not having the greatest stuff. A lot of the indie comics come up with more creative, interesting endeavours. Eventually, the mainstream... Will notice that when the readership picks up or the interest and they will co-opt it which unfortunately is just the way it is and that's okay as long as they stay true to the spirit of the original creative endeavor in the airport scene the woman with the red hair that looks at Carol is Kelly Sue DeConnick a past writer for the Captain Marvel comic run well that's cool I don't remember an airport scene not at all but there we go Brie Larson is allergic to cats so her scenes involving goose were filmed with a puppet or computer-generated VFX. Christ, I mean, that's got... Don't take some antihistamines. Let's just do it in post. Jesus. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff with Goose is CGI anyway because they wanted the cat to do certain things, and doing that with a real cat would probably take all year. Goose is played by four different very professional cat actors, so that just answered my own speculation there. Reggie, Rizzo, Gonzo, and Archie, so clearly they could get a real cat for a bunch of stuff, and they had enough money to do CGI just for Bree. Stan Lee makes a cameo which he filmed prior to his death obviously this is a bit awkward after this is probably his third to last cameo as it's reported that he will be in Avengers and Far From Home okay so Far From Home I think will be the final appearance of him in the flesh from then on it'll be like the tv shows where it's probably like photos in the background or posters things like that the security guard Captain Marvel speaks to at the beginning is Marvel security director Barry Curtis. Well, that's awesome, because he was a good actor. I mean, he didn't have to do a lot, but I felt that he was underplayed that quite well. So, awesome. In the comics, Captain Marvel's cat is named Chewy after Chewbacca. In this film, it was named Goose after Goose from Top Gun. That makes more sense. Go with that. I mean, they could have named it Chewy, because, you know, it's all Disney. That makes more sense to be a Top Gun reference. There were concerns that Bree was too young to portray a pilot. Screenwriter Nicole Perlman consulted with the Air Force, who said it was possible for someone between 28 and 34 to become an accomplished pilot like Danvers. Well, that's good to know. Project Pegasus stands for Potential Energy Group Alternate Sources, United States. It was previously mentioned in the Avengers. Well, that's cool. Uh, That somehow made that work. There always has to be an acronym. Jude Law took counsel from his Sherlock Holmes co-star, Robert Downey Jr., who plays Iron Man. Law stated he talked a little bit about how making a Marvel movie is fitting this one piece into a bigger picture, and giving yourself over to that. It's not about trying to understand everything, just do your piece. (laughs) Just shut up and uh, do the job. Take that giant fat check, basically. When Talos confronts Carol and Nick in Louisiana, he sips from a fast food container. It's the exact same design as the cup that Jules... Samuel Jackson sips in the scene in Pulp Fiction where they steal back back the briefcase. Freudian slip there. Yeah, it was cool. I saw a photo of all those references. There's uh, another one where uh, he's driving with Coulson. It's exactly the same angle as the scene where they're driving him and Travolta in Pulp Fiction. So another 90s reference, of course. The name Captain is not used once in the entire film until the closing credits. Yeah, I did notice that at some point. Where they kept talking about her name and things like that and i was like yeah no one's ever called her captain marvel was she a captain in the uh in the air force i guess so but yeah it's just never brought up in february 2019 marvel launched the official website which emulates design from the 90s including html frames a mix of rainbow fonts pixelated gifs a hit counter a guest book and a low resolution trailer framed inside a window resembling real player well that's awesome I have to go find that. While Monica Rambeau is choosing a new colour for Carol Danvers' suit, we can see many references. Ooh, that's cool. A red and yellow suit, like the one used by Shazam. A black and gold suit, used by Carol in the comics when she was Miss Marvel. A white and green suit, the classic Kriyama suit, colours in the comics. And finally, the red, blue and gold. So that's cool. I just thought they were random colours, but of course there's always those details that they like to... Throw in there. Ronan the Accuser, that's his name. to Prack is signed on to, this to compose the score, making her the first woman to score an MCU film. Well, that's cool. Uh, good for her. When portraying the alien, and good for us because it was a great score. It wasn't my kind of like thing I'd listen to in the car, I don't think. I might have to have another listen to it, but it certainly worked with the movie. When portraying the alien scroll Talos, Ben Mendelssohn used his native Australian accent. When Talos adopts a human disguise, he used an American accent. Yeah. He's pretty good with his voice. Prepare for her role, she trained for nine months, learning judo, boxing, and wrestling. She also visited Nellis Air Force Base and met with active-duty airmen, including Brigadier General Jeanie Levitt and Thunderbirds pilot Major Stephen Del Bagno. That's cool. I've got to stop using that after every fucking trivia point. But I like that she did that. She obviously didn't learn to fly a plane, but she must have tried to get in the heads of some of the pilots. Just to have a glimpse into that, military culture I think really would help to inform the actor into how very particular that culture can be. This was the 21st film to be released by Marvel Studios. So There we go, it's 21. They're old enough to drink, as Jeremy Jans said. Fury's ID showed him having only level 3 clearance at that time. Maria Maria Rambeau's call sign is Photon, her daughter's future superhero name, after gaining similar powers to Carol Danvers. There we go, so that happens in the comic. We don't know if it's gonna happen in the MCU. I'm gonna even copy and paste that over to Janice, because, you know, she is the mother of my older son who loved the movie, and he will eventually see that, hopefully. Boom, because we were discussing that. We are like, she is gonna be someone, because all she talked about was how much she wants to uh, grow up and be a pilot and save the world and all that kind of thing, and it made it sort of obvious. I was like, maybe she'll be that chick who becomes Iron Man like replaces him because she's young, black, female, and very smart, and all that sort of thing. We were like, that's kind of similar to Shuri, but hey, she's American, and that's the character that's in. I can't remember what they called, but the later Iron Man comics. But who knows where they'll go with it? At the MCU, they can obviously mess with things. The Quadjet, stolen by Captain Marvel, is clearly an early version of the Quinjet, a common shield transport fighter jet. When Brie Larson's casting was announced at Comic-Con. CNN ran the headline, Shazam, Brie Larson is Captain Marvel. Not realising they were thinking of the wrong Captain Marvel. Was that CNN? Well, of course they got it wrong. Quantum physicist Spiridon McCallus of the Institute for Quantum Information and Matter was consulted on the film, and that's good to know they got all that stuff right. Uh, Fury mentions he likes to operate in locations that start with the letter B, because he can make them rhyme. Yeah, that was one of his better jokes. Captain America Alexander Pierce talks about a rescue mission that Fury initiated against orders in Bogota that they uh, have that through line there. Captain Marvel is based on Carol Danvers, her origin incorporates the alien Captain Marvels Walter Lawson Marvel and Kneer, both Kree Skull soldiers who came to Earth and decide to defend it. Furthermore, Kineer has his memory tampered with which causes him an identity crisis, which Carol suffers in this movie. So, yeah, they don't take everything straight from the comics. They tend to combine a lot of things, which, playing the comics, you've got more time to play with it, and they'll just kind of uh, amalgamate characters and things like that. Jamie McKelvey, who designed uh, the Marvel suit in the comics, praised the movie costume for closely adhering to his work. Good stuff. Pancho's bar is a reference to female aviator Pancho Barnes, and the Happy Bottom Riding Club featured in The Right Stuff. The scroll makeup took two hours to apply damn that sucks because it looks really good and i guess if you find someone that knows what they're doing i'd love to do the same for a cosplay i'm really gonna to have to look around and see how much that would cost because i would love to do that at least for one day the filmmakers cited 1990s action movies as an influence on the film's action in keeping with the era in which the film is set i'm not surprised they did that given how much attention to detail was paid to say with the Pulp Fiction references so yeah even just like the car chase and stuff like that was reminiscent of films of that time I was even going through a little fantasy in my head as while I was watching it pretending that it had somehow been transported back in time to the actual 90s and I remember in high school usually at the last week of the year they would let people just bring in videos or the teacher would have videos and we could just basically throw stuff on (laughs) in a crappy little VCR and watch it on these really small screens. So it wouldn't have done it justice, but uh, I'd love to be able to go back in time and just blow people's minds with a current film. And I think even this film, with its amazing CGI, would blow people's minds back then. Otherwise, it wouldn't have done anything to the space-time continuum because, you know, it doesn't really... It's set in the 90s, so... There's no sort of spoilers about, hey, this 9-11 thing happens, or... The financial crisis or any of this other stuff that would really mess with things. And people would maybe remember it years later and go, Hang on, I saw a movie in the 90s where this happened. What the fuck? This film marked a second directing pair in the cinematic universe after the Russo brothers. This time, Ryan Fleck and Anna Boden. Boden was also the first female director for a Marvel movie. There we go. But it's the second directing pair in the universe, but it's the first female director. Uh, She's not by herself, but still, that's pretty good. A Bunch of names there considered for the role, uh, Emily Blunt and Katie Sackhoff, are two that I can reckon, uh, Natalie Dormer I recognize as well from Game of Thrones. Emily Blunt would have been really good. Uh, She's quite busy though, a bit more of a name. But yeah, I would have loved to have seen her, because she obviously, she can kick ass. She's been in a few action movies, uh, most notably Leave, Die, Repeat was the tag. The day after tomorrow, no. Had a kind of forgettable name, the movie, but the movie itself was really amazing. Uh, With Tom Cruise, when they just keep repeating the same day, and she kicked some serious ass in that movie, and I would have liked to see her do the same in this. Who knows how that would have gone. Katie Sackhoff, obviously from uh, Longmire, the TV series, and Battlestar Galactica, so this would have been a nice transition for her into the MCU, but hopefully she gets a chance down the track, because she's really good and quite watchable. Not, I guess, as... Hollywood pretty as Alison Brie but still very watchable very strong yeah there's maybe a missed opportunity I don't know I would love to be able to see all these movies and see how they went there's another name there Rebecca Ferguson like you could just dip into say you had one of those remote controls from uh, Rick and Morty where you can see like TV from all over the universe including alternate universes and could see how that would play out with different actors and be like yeah okay they should have gone with this one Rebecca Ferguson, she's in Life Mission Impossible. Brown hair, obviously blonde hair, and a bunch of roles there. Yeah, she looks good. She doesn't look vastly different from, mm, depending on the photo, she can be kind of Alison, Alison brie ish. Sorry, Alison Bree? Where'd I get that from? <laughs> she's the other Bree. She would have been good. I don't think that would have gone wrong with any of those choices. People have accused Captain Marvel of being miscast. I don't know. Let's see how it goes. Uh, there's obviously a lot more to play out, like Chris Evans was really good as Captain America I can't see anyone else as him but you know that took time to develop Fury says no one calls him Nick in the MCU films that take place later Tony Stark and Agent Maria Hill both call him Nick so obviously that changes maybe that was the case in the 90s but uh, I guess he relaxes that rule a little and I would think that Tony Stark would do it on purpose just because he would know it pissed him off I don't know about with uh Maria Hill I'm pretty sure that's that Canadian she plays God Why like Kobe Smolder? she's got such a cool name you know and I guess calling him Nick and that would have meant she was like super close to him she's one of those the few people that knew about him pretending to die and all that sort of thing that helped him out there you'd have to be pretty damn close to even his mother calls him Fury so I don't know what the story is there this was the first solo female led movie in the MCU Ant-Man and the Wasp released the year before was led by male female superhero Julie, and we all know that In the movie, Carol refers to Monica as Lieutenant Trouble. I knew that would be a reference, which is a reference to the comics where she affectionately calls Kit Renner Lieutenant Trouble. In the comics, Kit is a young girl who befriends and looks up to Captain Marvel. Okay, that's not too deep down the rabbit hole. That's pretty much what I would have expected it to be. Uh, Nicole Perlman previously wrote the first draft of Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, see, that's funny because in the Red Letter review, they're like, oh, I needed more of the humor and punch of Guardians of the Galaxy because the writer of that knew how to do fish-out-of-water scenarios much better, blah, 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 because they were assuming that James Gunn wrote it. He did not write the first draft. He touched up the second draft, which, according to Nicole and some other people, he didn't really change that much. So that's ironic that she actually wrote both anyway. In the comic books, Maria Rambeau was the fa- the mother of Carol Danvers' friend and ally Monica Rambeau. Okay, says so she's still yeah superhero went under the name of photon maria uses the title photon in this movie monica initially went under the name captain marvel it was not until she joined the avengers that she learned that the name had been used before by the deceased marvel offering to change the name out of respect she was advised to keep it by her teammates who believed her worthy of continuing marvel's legacy it was used before she changed the name to photon well that's a bit confusing The movie is not a traditional origin story as the heroine already possesses her powers when the film starts yeah but that's just a timeline thing i mean she doesn't possess them fully because she doesn't realize what she can do and it's only right at the end that she rips out that uh shackle so to speak the star force uniform design combines the designs for marvel and captain marvel's 2012 suit a jumpsuit with a star insignia and damn it looks good despite the fact that this movie takes place before will be released and will be released before Avengers Endgame. It was actually filmed after the latter. Well, that's weird. I guess there was more CGI to do on Endgame or they purposely slated it for a later release, obviously because they needed this to lead into it, but still, hopefully they uh, have plenty of time. Releasing it after gives them more time to work on uh, Endgame post-production and make it what it needs to be because I know they went and did reshoots. So maybe the reshoots were after this was filmed, so that's okay. It wasn't a complete weird waste of time because i think as soon as something's done let's get it out there let's, let's, i'm gonna see it now this was the first film in the marvel cinematic universe to be released after stanley's death uh, stanley's cameo is him as himself and not as the entity seen with the watches in previous marvel studio films huh where do you get that from the trailer has received about 109 million views worldwide that's a lot and at least that many people have watched the movie now so as himself i mean how do they know that it's just some guy on a bus from what i could tell sorry a a train fair enough when captain marvel crashes into the blockbuster store she uses her photon blast to destroy a cutout of arnold schwarzenegger promoting true lies yeah i thought that was cool i don't know how they got the rights for all that i guess you know being disney they've got a fair bit of weight i don't know if that was a they end up owning the rights to that or they just had to ask someone but that that was kind of cool to see schwarzenegger finally in the mcu in some form as a large portion of this film is set in space, and presumably because the Kree used similar technology, the iconography of location displays within the film when shown on screen is very similar to the location displays from Guardians of the Galaxy film. So that's cool, there's some consistency there. While in the classified file room, there are a couple of boxes with the name Kevin LaRosa, clearly behind Carol. Kevin LaRosa Sr. is the stunt coordinator. While this isn't the first movie with a female superhero, it's the first to be written primarily by women. Supergirl, Catwoman, Elektra and Wonder Woman were written by men. The closest was Catwoman, which gave a writing credit to Teresa Rebecca. However, that movie also had three male writers credited. Well, that's cool. So that's, to me, I think that's something that's been missed by a lot of reviewers. I've only watched a couple of videos, but no one talks about the female writer and the fact that this is the first one was largely written by a woman i'm sure there was some notes and rewrites and all that to a degree but essentially and i've already forgotten her name she was the main writer i've really got to stamp her name in my i mean she wrote guardians of the galaxy this probably arguably wasn't as good but it's still a great little romp keanu reeves was almost cast as yon rog oh yeah so i don't know who that is i'm gonna have to look that up i'm hoping they save him for a greater role at some point. Because he would be great to see. Okay, so that was the Jude Law role. I think Jude Law was fine. It was just the right amount of smarm. And yeah, I, I can be nice, but also really turn on you if I need to. counter oh, I don't know. He's never really played a bad guy, as far as I remember. I don't know if he had the range for this. He's a great actor, but within a certain range. I, I just don't know. As John Wick is amazing, but he's got a certain limited amount of uh, places he can occupy in cinema. <laughs> and this I'm not sure he would have done it justice even though it is just a superhero movie when Brie Larson was announced at the Comic-Con she took part in a photo with the cast and crew of Doctor Strange, Guardians, Spider-Man and Black Panther so I'd love to see that photo there's no link to it though when Captain Marvel is looking around the bar and remembering experiences she notices the arcade cabinet for a Capcom video game since 1996 one year after the year this movie is set Captain has published fighting video games that pit their characters against Marvel's superheroes. Captain Marvel did not appear in any of them until Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, released in 2017. So that's ironic, yeah. That was the year before, uh, in the movie, that uh, Capcom started releasing them with Marvel characters. So. But I mean, if you start to look for breaks in reality like that, you, you just never stop. So they've appeared in films before together, Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. Alison Brie, that's connection that's her first name though not the last name so they've appeared in of the penguins unicorn store and kong skull island i did not know that uh it's the first walt disney film not to stream on netflix after disney decided to let their licensing deal expire disney plans on releasing the movie on their subscription service disney plus there we go it's the first one to uh you know kick off on that new service and will everyone buy it of course they will When Captain Marvel is on the video... And I just hope that doesn't mean the death of Netflix. Um, They've got plenty of stuff otherwise. But continued fragmentation of media. I don't know if it's such a great thing. It's good to have more content out there. And hopefully that's what it leads to. It's this weird thing that's happening at the same time. It's fragmenting, but also Disney's buying everything. So it might all end up on their channel anyway. When Captain Marvel is in the video store, she's seen holding a movie box for the right stuff. Some of the scenes in the movie were inspired by the right stuff. It's a famous movie about... Uh, test fighter pilots. The film was the first from the Marvel collection of a female lead and released in cinema on International Women's Day. Yeah, that was clever. The film is a chronological introduction of the Kree race. In season 5 of Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the agents were kidnapped, taken into the future and held captive by the Kree. Yeah, so chronologically, this happened in the timeline before that season, but they had popped up before. Gemma Chan, so she was from Doctor Who. She's the 10th actress from Doctor Who to appear in the MCU. That's kind of like a like how home and away is like the test bed for a lot of australian actors that go into hollywood doctor who is like a test bed for a lot of actors who go into the mcu because damn there's a lot of them as they're all listed there i'm not going to read it out this film mark jude law's debut in the mcu of course he's been dr watson before alongside stark Sorry, Robert Downey Jr. And it just keeps repeating that. The cast of the MCU now also includes Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch, who also played Watson and Holmes. Yeah, they are all kind of come together somehow. DeWonderwise was set for the role of Maria Rambeau, before dropping out due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, Maria Rambeau, the actress who played her, was quite good. So, oh yeah, and De it looks a lot like her. So I guess that would have worked either way. And she's... Uh, I know, it's not just because she's black. She really does look very similar to that actress ronda rousey had expressed interest in playing the title role i don't think that would have worked because she's not an actor but i guess if you ask enough people <laughs> they would think what's the difference but, no i think you still would have needed someone with the caliber of and some people again might choke on this but i think uh brie larson took a little bit more experience into this and that's what it needed both Ben Mendelsohn and Samuel Jackson are involved in Star Wars franchises. Oh yeah, that was the first thing I was thinking. Like, they've been together in another universe. And Ben Mendelsohn's got a really great late career, kind of becoming the new Jeffrey Rush after that guy got kind of owned by the Me Too movement. Uh, most songs are sung by a female singer. Oh, that's true. And they're all from the 90s. Of course, you got Salt and Pepper. You got Just a Girl. Like Garbage, Desiree, you've Got to Be, no doubt. Right, so garbage i'm only happy when it rains yeah i didn't mind that one lots of nostalgia in the re-entrance back to earth carol lands in downtown la when the train sequence with the scroll ends the film cuts to agent coulson in the elevator of the parking garage where he punches in for four like c- that's a tongue twister that one for floor four and five <laughs> the cut sequence is a subtle nod to the movie speed considering how the character howard Payne had pre-laid his exit strategy from the elevator shaft. It's not, we don't have to stop and get it. from the elevator shaft. Sounds a bit odd. Um, coming down to the end here. Well, that's weird. Gemma Chan is the 11th actor from the Transformers films. So they're another test bed for Marvel films because uh, she's the 10th actress from Doctor Who, but the 11th from Transformers. So not having seen her a lot myself, uh, she certainly has a lot of, uh, she was in Crazy Rich Asians. Humans, which I've been meaning to see, I bought the DVDs. Oh, sorry, Blu-rays. Mary Queen of Scots. Okay, doesn't seem like she'd be right for a period drama set in like the eighteen. What a- Mary Stuart's attempt to overthrow her cousin Elizabeth I, Queen of England, finds her condemned to years of imprisonment. So what, what an age would an would be doing in that? I guess I'll watch that one day and find out. Lee Pace reprises his role, however he does not wear his iconic face paint of Xandarian blood because Captain Marvel precedes Guardians of the Galaxy where he first applies it. Okay. Uh, Clark Gregg and Sam were digitally de-aged to look like their younger selves since the movie is set in the 90s. This was the first time Marvel did de-aging for characters for an entire movie. They've done a little bit in Ant-Man and Captain America: Civil War, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, but only for flashback scenes. They also did it to Tony Stark when he was showing a presentation to the college with his parents right before they died. And I'm looking forward to seeing more movies using that. In Stanley's cameo, he can be heard repeating the lines "Trust me, true believer," or holding a script titled "More Rats." Oh wow! Okay, so I didn't see that. I'll have to look out for that more closely next time. In that film, Stanley offered advice to the character Brody. Kevin Smith, who directed Moratz, is an avid... Yeah, he's going to go nuts over that. I haven't heard his reaction yet. He's down in Florida shooting Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Not the most imaginative or creative title or, apparently, script. Essentially, it's just him and his old partner. Look at the cast. They're not all going to be in big roles, but they've got a lot of people in there. Breathing heavy because they ran for, like, 10 metres to check the truck. Obviously, he's got his daughter... Jason Muse, his partner. Jason Lee from the Morats. Frankie Shaw, not sure who that is. Justin Long, who he had in Tusk. Brian O'Halloran, of course. Doesn't look like he's got the other main actor from Clark's. It's really fallen out with him. Seafull cast and crew. That's disappointing if they don't get the guy that he basically wrote the lines for himself for. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be in there. Jordan Monsanto is in there. Muse's wife. He's a real friends and family guy, this one. Gets everyone that he knows. So yeah, he will lose his fucking mind when he sees his own script in that movie being read by Stan Lee. Just oh, he obviously was in the film itself. Moritz um, playing someone pretty much like Stan Lee. I'm definitely watching it again with an eye to that. So throughout the history of Marvel Comics, eight different characters have taken the name Captain Marvel. This movie features four of them: Carol Danvers, human superhero previously known as Miss Marvel, Marvel, a Kree alien and superhero. Monica Rambeau, the first female Captain Marvel who joined the Avengers in the 80s, and Knur, a scroll alien and superhero. There you go. I think that um, Annette Bening Marvel is kind of a mix of. Well, no, she's basically Marvell. But, so I don't know who Knur is supposed to be in the movie. Maybe the Ben Mendelssohn character, a little bit. Samuel Jackson described Nick Fury at this point in time as a desk jockey with two good eyes has not yet become cynical towards bureaucracy in the film carol danvers visits a bar called pancho's which we know but she's got flashbacks there of her previous life on earth pancho's bar aka pancho's happy bottom riding club was a real bar located near edwards air force base in the mojave desert in the 40s it was once the home to many famous test pilots including chuck yeager jack ridley buzz aldrin you know just all the big guns The bar features heavily in The Right Stuff, which is also referenced in this film. Pancho Barnes was a female aviation pioneer, as mentioned earlier. Uh, She's a Hollywood stunt pilot turned bar owner. She even once replaced Amelia Earhart as a record holder for Top Speed. No doubt the reference is a double nod to Pancho Barnes' groundbreaking contributions to women in aviation and to her connection to the Edwards test pilot community. So that was nice. This was the first chronological movie appearance of Phil Coulson since he was stabbed and apparently killed by Loki in The Avengers. He's later revealed to have survived as explained on the television show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The film features not one, but two Stanley cameos. He's seen in the images of the opening studio logo. I don't know if you'd count that as a cameo, but okay. And of course on the train. The twist of the skull's turning out to be... Yeah, and obviously with the train, that's why earlier someone said yeah, he was playing himself. So, which is a bit of a fourth wall break that was a bit Deadpool but okay just gotta roll with it but the twist of the scrolls turning out to not be the villains there's a spoiler is not too far fetched since in the comics it's revealed that the Kree were once were the ones that started their war copy that and send it to Roni who I talked to earlier about this and he was like sure that in the comics the scrolls were always the bad guys so maybe it's not that black and white Carol cannot breathe in space without the helmet which comes out of her suit however when she unlocks her total power she's able to breathe without a helmet well, there we go in the comics Marvell and the helmet is pretty cool because it has like this weird giant um hair piece which can't be her real hair but it looks pretty damn fucking metal in that it's like a punk what do you call that mohawk that's right so in the comics Marvell was a male Kree who was killed in an explosion while rescuing Carol an explosion passed his powers onto her in the movie Marvell is a female who built the core that gave Carol her powers the use of Nirvana's Come As You Are, when Brie confronts the supreme intelligence, Annette inning, has multiple connotations. As it discusses memories, something verse is slowly regaining over the course of the film. The song's title coincides with the supreme intelligence finally revealing herself as she is. In this case, the unknown enemy and not the friend. The Tesseract, yeah, it just mentions everywhere it appears. Nick Fury's full name is given as Nicholas Joseph Fury. Goose He's the first among everyone in the movie who touches the Tesseract. She checked it with her paw. When Fury is writing a memo, he observes an old photograph of Carol Danvers with her aviation call sign and changes the name of the project to The Avengers. So, yeah, that's... She's basically the first Avenger, at least in name only. And, you know, this kind of messes with the timeline as Captain America being called the first Avenger. Like, that's the name of the film. But not too much because he's still lit- literally the first one. Like, in person. So that's fine so that's all the trivia i'm not going to worry about the goofs they usually just annoy me 99 percent of them anyway so it's wow we nearly got to an hour so that's what happens when you have a big movie like that which always has a lot of trivia to talk about so that will do for now i'll ramble on a bit more loosely in the next episode i'm sure but i hope you enjoyed it and that there were some things in there that you didn't know either so thanks for listening i'll see you hopefully in a few days check you out get in touch tell me what you thought if you agree or disagree that it's uh, I think a great movie obviously not the greatest of all the MCU films Civil War arguably is up there and of course Infinity War and Endgame is going to be a much bigger one but I I still think it deserves a place so and I'd give it out of 10 gives me more range maybe seven and a half eight because fuck it I'm an optimist and uh, a big lover of anything Marvel if it was like in one of the reviews I saw not a Marvel movie, that rating would go down a little bit, of course. But I still recommend it. So thanks for listening. Don't grab your dessert because it's not that podcast, but do have a solid week. Peace out.